Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Neil Barnard. He was with us uh, February of 2019, and today he's joining us discussing his new book, Your Body in Balance. Dr. Barnard is a faculty member of the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences and president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Dr. Barnard, welcome to the show. So what inspired you to write this book? And a young woman called me up saying she couldn't get out of bed because she had menstrual cramps that were just disabling. And many women have cramps, but for maybe one in ten or thereabouts, they are just off the scale, can't go to work today, uh, painful. Um, And that was her situation. She had a business trip the next day, and she said, how am I going to get on the plane? So I said, well, I can provide you painkillers for the next couple of days, but how are we going to prevent this from happening next month? Uh, So I... I've suggested something to her that I don't think any doctor had ever suggested to a patient for menstrual pain, which was a couple of days of painkillers now, but then over the next month, how about this? No animal product at all, completely vegan diet, and keep oils very low. She said, I'll give it a try, and it turned out to absolutely cure her. Over the next several months, she didn't have any pain whatsoever. And so I then put this to the test in a randomized clinical trial with our friends at Georgetown University, and we found that it works for many women. It reduces PMS symptoms, bloating, water retention, moodiness, and also pain. And, what, of course, what I was doing was realizing that menstrual pain is caused by an exaggerated effect of estrogens, the female sex hormones. They're, they're, working, too, they're working overtime and thickening up the the lining of the uterus in anticipation of pregnancy, causing too much pain. So with the the diet change that I recommended, the idea was to get her estrogen back into balance with very low-fat, very high-fiber foods, and it just worked. So I I realized, number one, how many women are suffering with menstrual pain, but the much bigger issue is that if you can control your hormones, you can control... A lot of things, not just cramps, but endometriosis, fertility, hormone-related cancers, thyroid disorders, diabetes. These are all conditions where hormones have gone haywire, and I got so excited about it, and so that's the reason I wrote Your Body in Balance. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, what you said is, is hitting the, the nail on the head, but I, I think more women have cramps than is uh, discussed a lot. Um, we're often told that it is normal, and so unless we can't go to work, and even when we can't, it's it's dismissed a lot, and a lot of the discomfort that we go through is because most women have a disharmony in their hormones, it's really difficult for doctors to know what to do, because if the pill doesn't work I think that's it seems to be where um, you know medicine leaves everything and um, I don't think that's the right thing because you know being a woman myself I really you know didn't like when I was suffering and um, you know in the end it, it was diet that that helped me with my hormones more than any supplement or anything else that I did so I'm glad that you were having this conversation and that women can can have and, and men as well can have more power over their bodies because um, when you're when you're suffering that way and you go to the doctor and told them there's nothing you can do um, I, I think a lot of people lose hope and and feel like that power is taken away well I, th- I think you're absolutely right I, I think you said several things that are really key here number one is that doctors tend to sort of downplay these issues um, you're suffering you've got terrible pain you can't go to work today um, that happens every month well you're a woman um, or that's just part of it, or, you, wait a minute, <laughs> Let's, you know, if a man suffered that way, I, I don't want to sound overly sexist, but I, I'm inclined to think that, that if it were men going through this, that they, they probably would have been addressed sooner. Um, yes. Secondly, w- what are the treatments that are used? Ibuprofen in sometimes heroic amounts, and when that doesn't work, they put you on the pill. And so a woman might bring her daughter in to the clinic, and they recommend a pill, and the mother's going to say, well, she's 
She's only 14 years old. Do I really want to put her on a pill now? Um, and those are legitimate questions. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a role for medication. There certainly is. But the menstrual cramps are not caused by an ibuprofen deficiency. Uh, what we have learned in our work is that you can control the amount of hormones that are in the bloodstream based on what you eat for breakfast, and that's a surprising fact for many people, uh, and lunch and dinner. And that, in turn, changes what happens in the uterus. It can make you feel dramatically better. And let me tell you one, if you don't mind, let me tell you one quick um, additional story. In the course of our research that we did with Georgetown, we asked all the women not to use the pill or any other hormones because that would confuse the findings of the study. We wanted to just test food. And in the course of this, uh, one of the women said, well, I don't use the pill. In fact, I don't use any contraception at all because my husband and I gave up the idea of having a baby many years ago. We're clearly infertile, but when we were tested, it, it wasn't him. It was me. I don't, I don't ovulate. Well, she went on the, the healthy diet that I described. No animal products, kept oils very low. The second month that she was on the diet, she came into our center and said, Dr. Barnard, I have some, some news for you. And I said, well, what is that? She said, well, I'm leaving your study because I am pregnant. <laughs> and she gave birth to a healthy baby and then a second baby after a while. And then later on, she had a third baby. And, and here's my point. Here's a woman whose medical chart said infertility. What it, in fact, she was just out of balance. Mm -hmm. And so when you, have, when you use the power of food, it is astounding to see what you can do. Well, I, I agree with you on that one. I think, you know, food is our fuel and and um, most shows, <laughs> most books on health actually are about food or they encompass food. And um, I think a lot, I, I get asked that a lot. And, um, you know, I point out to people that, that food is, you know, like the gas you're putting in your car. There might be other things you need to do to get it to go. But if you put mud in your car, it's definitely not going to run. And this is where health starts. And um, in my office, health starts with diet and sometimes I don't have to do much more than that just like with that woman that got pregnant in your study you know she just needed to tweak her diet a little bit and then she her health improved and um, and and I wish that there was more emphasis on this in in the I mean, there is in the health world, you and I are having these discussions and other people as well. But um, that that woman, as the example, I'm sure went through a lot of studies and went to fertility clinics and went to her doctor and no one said, let's change your diet. And do you find that that's common? I, this feels like a failing in our medical system to me. Oh, my, my goodness, yes. Um, I mean, couples spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on fertility treatments and evaluations and treatments. Um, and plus, it, it, it just changes um, a normal loving relationship where you're raising a family in a natural way. It, it becomes sort of a cold, sterile exercise. And, um, I'm not saying that we can wipe out infertility completely, but, but we, we are seeing that when we change dietary uh, habits, that things like endometriosis or PCOS that interfere with fertility, um, they can be changed. But, but here's the other side of it. For men, there's been a fascinating observation that we now have an explanation for. And what, what, the observation is that sperm counts have been dropping, and they've been dropping fast. Um, over the last oh, half century or so, they've dropped by about 50 or 60%. Um, and so people have been trying to figure out, what the heck is it? Are men inhaling? something? Is it factory waste? Is it air pollution or global warming or what the heck is causing it? Well, I think what is happening is that if you look back, even a few decades, Americans didn't eat that much cheese. Uh, in 1909, when the government started tracking, um, the, the cheese intake was about um, less than four pounds per person per year. Today, it's about 35, 36, 37, plus ice cream, plus yogurt, plus other dairy products. And the reason that matters is that there is one food that actually contains estrogens that are a match for your estrogen, and that's dairy products. It comes out of the cow, and cows are impregnated annually on dairy farms, and they are milked during their pregnancy, um, and that means that there's estrogen in the milk and it's concentrated in the cheese. And researchers in Rochester, New York, found that the more cheese men eat, the lower their sperm counts. 
So th- there, there are really three things that you can do here with regard to, to getting estrogens and testosterone and so forth in the right balance. Number one, avoid dairy products 100%. Number two, if you uh, greatly increase fiber, high-fiber foods, that means the roughage in vegetables and fruits and beans and whole grains. And then third, keep fat really low. So not a lot of fried, greasy stuff. So the best diet is a vegan diet, no animal products at all. That way, everything you're eating is high fiber and healthy and naturally low in fat. And it, it, we believe that it will affect women, it will affect men, even over the long term for things like prostate cancer and breast cancer. These things can be reduced. Um, well, this is it's pretty amazing to talk about this and you know these are illnesses that are on the rise that a lot of people have a huge concern about um, and it, it's important for us to understand how we're overdoing everything and and you know there's a lot of diets out there and, and you know in contrast I actually did a keto show last week um, but she wasn't the keto where you know they do a lot of bacon and, and overdo everything um, but do you think that some of um, when when people are um, feeling better on some of these diets is because they're cutting out a lot of the processed food that they're eating, or do you think that there is more to it than that? I think, I think that is part of it. Um, if a person does a ketogenic diet, which um, I think has some risks associated with it, um, there, are, there are one or two positive things to say about it. They're typically throwing out the dairy products. Uh, except for things like butter and so forth. They, they, they'll throw out the ones that have sugar in them. Um, and so that might be good. And, they, and if they're throwing out this, the just junk snack foods, that, that's also the good too. But we don't use ketogenic diets, and we're frankly quite leery of them uh, because they, they are, because you're leaving out fruit and lots of healthful foods, your, your diet just doesn't have the antioxidants you need. And overall, over the long-term, mortality is higher, um, substantially higher in people who follow low-carbohydrate diets. So we don't use that. And, and we, frankly, we have much better short- and long-term results with plant-based diets, um, not to mention all the other motivations that mean things to people, like um, the environmental benefits and the animal benefits and so forth are, are real. But the health benefits, we think, are greater as well. Um, well, and talking about the health benefits, is often seems to be what spurs most people to make these decisions, um, you know, how this is going to be affecting them. And I find it interesting to talk about dairy in the way that you have. I don't think that the estrogen aspect of dairy has been discussed a lot. We know that, you know, a lot of humans can't digest, digest lactose. Um, we don't make those enzymes as we get older. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of arguments over the years of why a lot of people don't tolerate dairy and um, that hormone aspect is not something that's come up a lot. Yes, for some reason it's been overlooked except, but I have to say the dairy industry is aware of it and so is the government. Um, Many dairy farmers have actually asked the Food and Drug Administration to allow them to label their milk cartons as hormone free and the Food and Drug Administration has always refused. And the reason that the farmers say, well, we're not injecting any hormones into our cows. We're not injecting them with bovine growth hormones, so, so it's got to be hormone-free, isn't it? And the government goes back and says, are you kidding? Um, the cow makes hormones herself. Um, plus, when they are impregnated, as they are every single year, and they're pregnant for nine out of 12 months, during that time, their production of estrogen and progesterone goes way up. And it's, although it's only traces, of, of estrogens in the milk products, it is more than enough to affect human biology. And so if you feed milk products to your six-year-old son, you're affecting your son's biology. If you, affect, if you feed them to your eight-year-old daughter, same story. And if you consume them yourself, there was just last week a, a new paper that came out from the Adventist Health Study too, which was a, a great study because they, they look at Adventists, a huge population of non-smoking teetotalers, very health-conscious people, but some of them consume dairy and some do not. And what they found is that those people consuming the most dairy, those women consuming the most dairy, had 50% higher risk of developing breast cancer compared to other women, the the women who avoided it. So we are really sending out the alarm bells. Uh, The old recommendation that everybody should drink milk, and that's the best source of calcium. We are setting that aside. Have your green leafy vegetables as your source of calcium. Check out the milk product. 
Um, if you want to splash something on your cereal, use soy milk, uh, almond milk, rice milk, hemp milk, something. But it doesn't have to come from a cow. And if it does not come from a cow, it will not have estrogen. Um, that's, uh, it, it is, it's interesting to have this type of conversation and to know that, you know, even children are going to be affected. Um, do you find that when you're giving people advice to stop dairy, it's actually one of the hardest things for them to give up? Um, specifically cheese. Um, yeah. Not so, not so much other things, people, but people, they, they find themselves inexplicably drawn to cheese. And I've wondered why that is, particularly since it smells like old socks. Um, mm-hmm. Why do people <laughs> crave this stuff? And we've, we actually found out why. Um, cheese, for, first of all, it's very salty. A lot of salt is used in the cheese-making process. Um, plus, it's fatty, and fatty, salty things attract us, mm-hmm. like onion rings and potato chips. But probably a bigger reason is that uh, dairy products contain what are called casomorphins. These are narcotic, uh, narcotic traces. Uh, opiate traces that come from the dairy protein. Uh, the dairy protein is called casein, C-A-S-E-I-N. And, and when it digests in your digestive tract, it breaks apart and releases morphine-like compounds that will go to the brain and attach to the very same receptors that, that morphine does. They're, they're not nearly as strong, but they are strong enough to affect your desire for, uh, for cheese. People crave it. Uh, definitely do. I've, I always thought that I'd have more resistance against sugar, but people are aware of sugar, so I think they're more willing to give that up. But when I talk to them about giving up cheese, I get huge, huge amount of resistance on that one. Um, and and I was the first few times I was a little blindsided because I thought, you know, as I said, sugar would be harder. Um, so it's it's good to understand, especially if people are wanting to embrace us, to understand why it's so difficult to, to give it up. But, you know, it's all, yes, I, I, that's exactly been my experience. And I think it's also important for people to understand why it's a good thing to get away from. It's, there's almost no food that is less healthy than cheese. It's 70% fat. And most of that fat is bad fat, saturated fat, the kind that raises cholesterol and is linked to Alzheimer's risk. It, it, if it were any worse, it would be Vaseline. It's got, it's got um, more salt than potato chips, as I mentioned earlier, um, and it has hormones in it in a more concentrated form. Um, it has cholesterol itself. It's just such an unhealthy food um, mm-hmm. and uh, a very good thing to get away from. Definitely. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Neil Barnard, and we're discussing his book, Your Body and Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. And we'll be back shortly. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Right. 
You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today I'm talking with Dr. Neil Barnard. Um, so in, in your book, Your Your Body and Balance, you are talking about people going um, to more of a, a vegan diet. Can you just talk about um, what meat is doing to our bodies and why you're recommending this? Yes. Um, yes, we, we have found that when people get away from meat, they, they really do so well. And, and I have to admit that this is... 100% the opposite of how I was raised. I, I grew up in North Dakota, and so every day was roast beef or pork chops or fish or chicken or something like that. If, it, if, if there wasn't meat in the meal, we, it just wasn't a meal. And, and that sets you up for a variety of problems. The, the obvious ones, you're getting animal fat, and you're getting cholesterol in the meat. That increases your risk of heart disease. So that's a big reason why half of us die of heart disease. Um, also, meat greatly increases the risk of several forms of cancer, particularly colon colon cancer, but from, from the standpoint of hormone-related issues, meat is, contains a lot of fat, and that fat raises estrogen levels in a, ne- in a harmful way, but also it increases diabetes risk, and this surprises people because people think of diabetes as related to sugar, but what happens is if you're eating some, uh, some beef or some chicken, the fat in the meat gets into your cells, and as it gets into the cells, it stops your natural insulin from being able to work. The reason that insulin is not doing its job in type 2 diabetes is because your cells are filled with fat. And so if people get away from the meat product and build their diet from plant foods, the, uh, their diabetes can improve and it can sometimes even go away. Um, which is pretty amazing because diabetes is definitely on the rise and um, you know people don't know what to do I had uh, somebody in my office last week and she was told to um, eat carbs and sugar when her sugar got too low and to snack all the time and and she wasn't advised to change anything else and and, you know we looked at her diet and and looked at where we could slowly make changes for her but you know I find that, that the opposite of what really needs to change the diabetes is the advice that that's given um you know and and because we know it can be reversed diabetes has been reversed there are a lot of cases i'm sure you've seen it um but in the system when when you are under the care of somebody this is not the advice that you're given no um but but it really should be um the u.s government the, the national institutes of health funded my research team back in 2003 to find a better diet for type 2 diabetes. And what we did is we compared two different diets. One was the current approach, which limits calories to try to starve off the weight and and limits carbohydrates. And then the the experimental diet that we wanted to test out had no animal products in it at all. It was a vegan diet. Lots of beans and vegetables and fruits and whole grains and all the foods that they turn into. And um, it kept oils really low. And that diet, the plant-based diet, it turned out to be 300% better than the best current diet. So that's the diet that we're using now. And we started to see something that we had never seen before, which was diabetes going away. Yeah, I mean, if you can imagine what it's like to, to have been diagnosed with diabetes, year after year you're following a diet, nothing's getting better, and then you try the vegan diet. And your diabetes improves more than ever, and your doctor stops your medications, and eventually tells you you don't have the disease anymore. Uh, for many people, they can't imagine that, but that's what we have been seeing now for the better part of two decades, and people should really use this, and doctors should tell patients about it. Um, I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, it, it's it's on the rise, and it seems like once people are diagnosed, they feel like they are going to know their future with that illness. And, um, you know, I've witnessed people getting worse with the medication because um, the medication can make them gain weight, which makes the diabetes worse. And it just seems to be a, a catch-22 going in this direction in circles and circles and, you know, eventually killing people when we have 
have the tools and we know that food caused the disease. So I don't understand why we don't look at it more to, to know that food can also cure the disease. Yes, well, I think the, the part of this that's been missing from public consciousness is, is the understanding of what's going wrong. And we have seen this because when we do research studies, let me give you an example. We, we bring people in. They've got diabetes. What they do not know is that they have fat particles built up in their, in their cells, in their muscle cells, in their liver cells. That fat particles are stopping their insulin from being able to work. They've never heard that before, so you have to say it again. You have to say you've been eating chicken, and you've been eating beef, and you've been eating cheese, and the fat in there is getting stuck inside your cells, and your insulin can't work as long as that fat is in there. So that's why we're using a diet that has no animal products in it, and we keep vegetable oils very low, and the fat comes out. And I can send you to Yale University and put you in a magnetic resonance spectroscopy scanner, and we can look at that fat, and we can watch it go away. Um, and it is miraculous to see a person who is 40 years old, they've had diabetes for five years, they thought it was going to be for the rest of their life, and suddenly they don't have it anymore. And it's, it's an amazing thing to see. So that's why we're banging the drum. So in my book, Your Body in Balance, I have this great sense of urgency to let people know, here's what's are causing your cramps. It's estrogen. Here's what's causing your diabetes. It's your insulin is not working right. Or thyroid disease, it's thyroid hormone is acting up. We get our hormones into balance and we recover our health. Well, and, and thyroid problems are, are extremely common. Uh, it's a conversation that I have almost every day um, to check somebody's thyroid. And, and they tell me, oh, you know, this is in my family. And, and my comment is actually a little more nonchalant than they want. And I say it's in everybody's family because this is how common it is. And if it's so common, we need to stop and look around why that's becoming an issue. It doesn't get discussed as, as often as, as diabetes because we know the cause and I think the thyroid it just creeps up on people and isn't as obvious that this is something that can be turned around the symptoms can be vague um, it can start out as I'm, I'm sluggish I'm, I, I feel tired well many people feel tired and I'm, I'm gaining some weight and my hair seems lifeless and dry and my skin doesn't seem right and, and so you go to the doctor and the symptoms are, are, are vague but if the doctor is good she or he will say let me do a blood test and the doctor is checking your thyroid levels um, in your blood. And bingo, that's the answer. Um, and then the question is, well, why are you low in thyroid? Why is your thyroid not working well? Um, there are two reasons for that. One is that, that to make thyroid hormone, you need in your diet, you need iodine. And actually, iodine has not been much of an issue in the U.S. because the Morton Company started selling iodized salt back in 1924 that little blue cylinder cans with uh, the girl with the umbrella on it, um, that's iodized salt. And so it pretty much wiped out iodine deficiency, except in modern times, people will say, well, I I use Himalayan salt, or I'm using kosher salt or sea salt. It may not be iodized. So people are running low on iodine, and they're not not getting what they need, and so they're running hypothyroid. Um, The other reason is that dairy products and meat, it appears increase the risk of the development of antibodies forming in your body. These are proteins that your body makes to knock out viruses or to knock out bacteria, but suddenly your body is making antibodies that end up damaging your thyroid. And we believe that dairy products and meat encourage the body to make these antibodies. So the answer, get get adequate iodine, either from iodized salt or, or frankly, sea vegetables. Nori or wakame, these are unusual words to people, but when you go to a sushi bar, have the, don't have fish sushi because that gives you more problems, but have um, the cucumber roll or the sweet potato roll or the asparagus roll. The nori sea, seaweed that it's wrapped in has plenty of iodine. So you'll get plenty of iodine, also skip the dairy, skip the meat, and you'll be at the lowest risk for thyroid problems. 
um, which is not what is discussed when people are discussing thyroid problems. It's I, I don't think that that is something I've I've ever heard as a, a cause of of Hashimoto's or um, hyper hypothyroid. Um, that you know I, I know about the iodine, but the the meat and dairy being the cause. I you know now understanding how much hormones is in the meat and dairy, it does make sense that this is going to affect anything that that is part of our hormone systems. Um, well, I, I, I should mention that we are really kind of on the frontier of science here, so I don't mm-hmm. want to overstate it. But here's what I was referring to. Um, re- really two things. Um, the first is we have seen that in um, large research studies, uh, particularly the Adventist Health Study 2, which had, oh, tens of thousands of people in it, um, if you looked at the people who avoided meat and dairy, they had the least risk of hypothyroidism, which would most, mostly be Hashimoto's thyroiditis. The people who had the most hypothyroidism, the people at greatest risk, were actually the, the dairy eaters, the, the lacto-ovo-vegetarians. They weren't eating meat, but they were making up for it with cheese and milk products and so forth. And then when you looked at hyperthyroidism, the pattern was slightly different. Once again, the vegans are the best. They had the least risk. But the people who had the most risk were the omnivores who ate, who were exposed to both dairy and to meat. And their risk was much higher than, than vegans. And then the, the next step is looking at individuals who have made diet changes. And there we've seen a number of cases of people who either were hypothyroid or hyperthyroid. And we've seen them recover once they eliminated the offending foods from their diet. Now, we need more research on this and because specifically no one has done yet a randomized clinical trial where you take a large group of people and you test a low-fat vegan diet to see if it, how many will improve their thyroid condition. We do need more research along those lines. Um, which I'm sure will come out. Now, if somebody is, is considering this, um, is it necessary to be completely vegan and completely avoid dairy and, and meat all the time? Or is there a, a balance that works for some people and everybody as an individual can just find their own balance? Um, great question. Um, I think that any change a person makes is a good change. So if they're cutting down on meat or dairy, that's a, that's a good move. Um, but it, it's a really good idea at some point before too long to just chuck the animal products out of your diet completely for about three or four weeks and see how you feel. Because otherwise, it's, it's a little bit like a smoker who's smoking two packs a day and then they cut down to they're having no more than two or three cigarettes in a whole day. They have done much better, but they're still coughing. Um, and then the doctor finally says, give me a month with no cigarettes at all. <laughs> and the patient says, oh, that'll be really tough. But if they do it, their cough stops. And they notice something else, which is that they're not thinking about cigarettes as much. And when a person goes to a completely vegan diet, after a couple of weeks, you're just not thinking about meat and dairy. And it's easier to stick with it. As if people reignite their desire for it by having it every day or two, maybe two or three days, then it's, it's, it's more of a struggle. It's better to just say, that food doesn't love me back. I mean, I'm just going to not eat it anymore. Well, and I, I guess what I'm getting at, especially where I live, um, this is, you know, we're very big on our, our meat here in Alberta. And the portion sizes are also um, very out of control when it comes to, you know, your slab of beef that you're going to have on your on your plate. And um, my conversation with people is, you know, to cut back at least the portion um, so that they're, they're not eating too much protein because you can't have too much of anything. It doesn't matter what you're consuming. And um, I think we tend as a society to go um, very excessive in the things that that taste good. Um, and we forget that we need to have a balance with that. I mean, sure, cake tastes good, but if you eat the whole cake, you are not going to feel well. And it's the same with, with anything else. And um, I know if people just cut back, if they're not willing to give it up, they will also benefit from some changes. Any change a person makes is really a good change and they should be praised for it. And there's, there's never a reason to wag your finger at a patient and say they're not doing well. However, um, we should not be putting, as physicians, we should not be putting our values on our patients. If the patient mm-hmm. says, wait, doc, I am not the, the weak need person you think I am. I'm willing to make the big changes that I need to if it means I'm going to get better. 
For example, I had a patient named Vance who had type 2 diabetes all up and down his family tree. And he wanted to do a completely vegan diet because he said, you know what diabetes means to me? It means I could go blind. I could lose a leg. So if his caregiver said, oh, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of a lazy person, I'm sure you don't want to do this very much, you know, just, just make a little bit of a change. I think what our job as doctors is to be the best coach that they could ever have and take people as far as they want to go. But if they say, thanks, doc, I got your message, but I'm not going to quit smoking, I'll cut down, and I'm not going to quit eating meat and cheese, but I'll cut down, you still got to respect them and still work with them. But once people get a chance to get these foods out of their diet, it's, it's life-changing for many people. We break it into two steps. We usually give them a week to just test out healthy food and then have them do it all the way for about a three-week period, which is enough time to see how it works. And at the end of that time, they just view things very differently. Um, which, which I think is the only way to do it, is to try different ways and see how you feel, but be aware of how you feel. For example, if you're very addicted to cheese, you might still have the emotional resistance at the end of that little trial, because I, I guarantee I've been there with some things, um, knowing, well, this you know makes me feel good in the moment, but you have to also be aware when you consume something, how you feel after. Um, we all have an emotional attachment to um, food of some kind or all food and um, it's important to recognize how you feel after you eat um, this is how you know I was able to help myself you know I've had lots of conversations about diets and there is conflicting information out there but the bottom line is to to just know how you feel and if you don't feel good then then to, you know, look at what's not making you feel good. And if you feel good eating a certain way, then that's something you should definitely be embracing. It's also a fun process of exploration. Um, when I was writing Your Body in Balance, I, I called up Lindsay Nixon, who is the, uh, a wonderful recipe developer. And she pulled together 65 recipes for me. And when people try them, they say, wow, you know, I never knew that healthy food could actually be tasty or that, that I was actually out of the kitchen in 20 minutes, <laughs> that it's easy to do. Um, and so when people get a chance to explore new things, they look at food differently. And they start to discover there are websites and books and there are movies and all kinds of resources. It's a whole new world. And I, I encourage people to really have, it, have fun, some fun with their diet exploration. Well, and, and that's what it, it should be about as well is even if, you know, you don't embrace the entire thing to find new flavors and new recipes. And, and, you know, we do need to change on some level anyway. And a lot of people eat the same thing over and over. So it's good to just find those. Um, I, I've done that before. And it's very, very exciting for me to um, find new flavors when I, you know, get a new book in front of me and go, you know, I've never tried this. I think I'm going to do this now. Um, and it opens up your world and you definitely enjoy things more. And I think there's one thing that we don't want to neglect and that's the next generation. When I was a kid growing up in North Dakota and my, my grandfather had a heart attack and he, he was dead um, when he was younger than I am now, um, we all thought it was old age um, or it was just genes. And it didn't have anything to do with the fact that we were a Midwestern meat-eating family. Um, and we pass those ideas, those mistaken notions, on to our children, and we condemn them to the same kind of diet and the same kind of health outcomes, unfortunately. And if we break away from the things that are harming us, um, we give the next generation real power. And that does mean that we've got to learn some new things ourselves. My father was a smoker, and he didn't want us to be smokers, so he kind of hid it from us. And when he was hospitalized and almost dying from, from a tobacco-related illness, um, he resolved that he was going to break things for the next generation. And he threw away the cigarettes and he never went back to them. And with, it's now a generation later, but that's where we are with food. Meat does not love you back. And neither, neither does dairy, neither do eggs, neither does junk food. And if we break away from those things and embrace a healthful diet, it's, it's good for us, but it's even better for the next generation. Yeah, definitely. Um, we are going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Neil Barnard, and we're discussing his book, Your Body and Balance, and we'll be back shortly.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Voice AM Health. That's at Voice AM Health. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today I'm talking with Dr. Neil Barnard, and we're discussing his book, Your Body and Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. So in in your book, you talk about um, cancer. What can diet do for cancer? This is something that I think everybody is afraid of because it's almost a ticking time bomb for us. Um, With with good reason. Um, Cancer is very, very common. Um, There are different kinds of cancer. There are hormone-related cancers. Breast cancer often causes because estrogen molecules made in the body um, or, or in, in dairy products if they're added to the body, but particularly the ones made in our own bodies, they, the estrogen molecules will enter a breast cell and it can attach to the DNA and damage it, causing a cancer cell. And so if we keep our estrogen levels more in balance, we're going to reduce our cancer risk. So that means uh, avoiding animal products, keeping oils very, very low, um, and uh, avoiding the dairy products because they have the estrogens in them in, in, in traces as well. Um, there's more to it. Um, avoiding alcohol is a real plus. That reduces the risk of many different kinds of cancer. Um, and there's an interesting uh, issue here with regard to soy products. Soy products reduce cancer risk. And I emphasize that because some people had thought it was the opposite. Uh, soy products have been shown to have what are called isoflavones that attach to the estrogen receptor and for a long time, people thought that would increase cancer risk. It turns out that they act like a break on the growth of cancer cells. So we're encouraging people to have tofu or soy milk or whatever. It reduces the risk of breast cancer by roughly 30% and has about the same benefit for, for men for, for prostate cancer. The other thing is the digestive cancers, uh, colorectal cancer in particular, huge killer of Canadians and Americans, and uh, their meat product are the big issue, particularly bacon, sausage, ham, hot dogs, the processed meats, red meats in general, but, but it's a good idea to avoid uh, meat for, for this reason. And when you do, there'll be plenty of room on your plate for vegetables and fruits and beans and whole grains. High-fiber foods help reduce cancer risk. Um, which I think is how we're, we're supposed to be eating anyway. You know, I see some people's plates and it's, uh, you know, rice and meat and they forget about the vegetable part. And, um, you know, it's important that your plate is most mostly vegetables, at least half, just so that you're, you know, getting the nutrients that they, they're giving you and all the other benefits. And I think this gets forgotten, especially in the, our fast food era where we're grabbing a burger and fries, you know, the potatoes are supposed to be the vegetable I suppose or the the lettuce on the burger and we're not getting the huge benefits of these that, that we're supposed to be yes and it's good to think about four different food groups those would be vegetables fruits whole grains and and beans or I might say legumes meaning beans peas and lentils so vegetables fruits whole grains and beans so on your plate that could mean uh, if you have spaghetti, you would top it with a tomato sauce with maybe uh, seared mushrooms or artichoke hearts in it instead of the meat sauce. 
Um, or if you're having a chili, uh, maybe instead of a meat chili, have a bean chili. So you get the beans and the grains and the vegetables and fruits and all the wonderful things that they can become. Um, which sounds delicious. So, so those are the four food groups you're recommending that, that people eat. So we're still having our carbs, we're having our beans, and then we're having fruits and vegetables. And do you recommend that at every meal? Um, you can kind of figure out how you want to do it. For many people, they like to have, say, vegetables and beans they, uh, during the meal. They might want to have their fruit as dessert or something like that. That would be fine. Or for many people, breakfast is a grain product like oatmeal or or cornflakes or something like that. Um, you can sort it out, but, but every day it should be vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans. And when it comes to supplements, I encourage everybody to supplement with vitamin B12 for healthy nerves and healthy blood. Many people are low. It's obligatory on a vegan diet, but frankly, it's a good idea for everybody else. Um, if you're not getting sun, which is pretty easy to do in the wintertime, you might, what I mean is it's easy to, to neglect it in the, in the, in the wintertime, uh, you might need to take a vitamin D supplement, but your your doctor can test you and advise you whether you need a supplement of vitamin um, D. It- yeah, and it is difficult in Canada to, to get your vitamin D tested. Um, I think they just assume everybody is low, so it, it is advisable, especially in the winter, um, to take vitamin D. And um, now, one thing I think is important to note, you talk about how food can affect our moods. So what do you find changes for people when they change their diet? You know, this was a complete accident that we discovered this. We were doing... A research study with a, a big car insurance company called Geico, which is a huge company here. And uh, we uh, helped the Geico employees to adopt a vegan diet to improve their diabetes and lose weight. And to our surprise, their moods improved. Depression reduced and anxiety reduced and even job absenteeism reduced. And what we were discovered, what we believe is going on is that your gut changes. Your, your gut feeds back to your brain. I know it's funny to think of these things as being connected, but they are. Um, if you have a healthy digestive tract, it feeds back to the brain in a healthy way and seems to improve the mood. And when you're eating a meaty, cheesy diet, the gut bacteria that grow, that flourish, are, are unhealthy bacteria. When you are eating your vegetables and fruits and beans and grains, a different population of, of healthy bacteria grow, and that feeds back in a healthy way to the brain. There are other explanations too, but a number of people are starting to look at how food affects mood, and it's it's a surprising thing to see people be able to feel better in many cases. Well, it's definitely something I've observed since, as I said, food is the first thing I, I look at because I won't be able to get somebody better if they if they don't change their diet. And a lot of people come in saying, you know, they're not as moody, they're not as depressed, and, um, you know, they just overall feel better, and they feel like they have more energy as well. Um, and this is just from food. And, you know, it, it's important to know at, you know, food is our fuel, and if we're not eating the right things and we're not putting the right fuel in our bodies, we are going to be tired and lethargic and and not feel well. And this will affect all these other very serious things that we've we've discussed. Yes, and I'll, I'll tell you a little trick that we've also been using. Um, the the benefit that I mentioned earlier was just the benefit from from going toward a plant based diet. But there was one extra thing. Uh, when, if you're feeling kind of moody or for if a woman has PMS and she says, you know, one day every month I just don't feel like myself or maybe it's even two or three days, I just, I just feel completely out of sorts and I'm kind of on edge. Um, what I encourage her to try is to, to try the effect of what I call plant protein. And plant protein means something like some tofu or tempeh or beans or some other high-protein food. And what you do is you have it early in the day and early in the meal. So for breakfast, um, grill up a little tempeh, uh, which is a, a soy product that you'll see at, at every health food store and a lot of regular grocery stores, too. You just saute it in some, uh, or you uh, uh, marinate it in a little soy sauce, put it in a nonstick pan for just a couple minutes, and it, it kind of tastes like bacon, except it, it has no cholesterol, no animal fat, uh, n- nothing bad in it. Um, and you have that food at the beginning of your breakfast, not at the end. And what it does is it seems to cause plant-derived amino acids to enter the bloodstream, and they block the formation of serotonin, which makes you feel tired. Um, and so that's the reason you do it early in the meal, because it gets into the bloodstream and blocks this uh, negative uh, change in brain chemistry that can otherwise happen. 
Um, so I don't encourage people to take this on faith. Just try it. And if you're noticing that you're low in energy or you're feeling your mood is not so hot, have some kind of plant protein. And I have some friends who will use beans for that purpose, which is a funny thing in North America. In Mexico, people eat black beans for breakfast, and they'll do it in Australia. They'll do it in England. They'll have uh, baked beans as a breakfast food. Uh, in North America, people are kind of allergic to that. But it's a new <laughs> habit, and it, you don't need much, just a little bit. If it's the first thing you eat, it will often have that effect. Hmm. Um, that, that's good to know. Um, if anybody wants more information about this diet or to find your book, how can they do so? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, our website is pcrm.org. That stands for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org. And your body and balance is available anywhere books are sold. That's Barnes & Noble or Amazon or Target online. Or if there's a surviving bookstore in your community, I'm sure they would value your business. Um, yes, that's a, a good thing to say because there there aren't in where my town. Um, we only have the the big chains here, um, so definitely worth picking up for anybody who wants more information on this. There's also a lot of recipes in your book, so if this is new to somebody, this idea, um, you know, we discuss finding new flavors, and you definitely um, have some good flavors in your book. So it's easy to to make the changes, and it doesn't have to be overnight either. It's something people can ease into and and i love that your book is laying that all out and explaining everything for people you know when Lindsay nixon sent me the recipes that we included she she also sent me a note that i put in the book where she said dr barnard i didn't tell you this before but the diet changes that you're recommending here cured my menstrual cramps too (laughs) that's some validation for you there you go. That's perfect. Well, um, I want to thank you so much for, for joining me today. It was a great and informative show. Thank you for including me. It was great to talk with you today. Um, so today we were talking with Dr. Neil Barnard, and his book is called Your Body and Balance, the New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. If you want more information about my story and what I went through to get back to health, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. And don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening today, and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 